Talking Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza. As always, we're here for our first podcast of the season, and at least in four and two, Nick. So we had a couple of rough losses against Montreal and Arizona, but. Four nice wins, Washington, Ottawa, Dallas, and Winnipeg. What's, I guess, your general thoughts with the Leafs so far? Are you are they a 4-2 and two team, or do they deserve a little bit better, a little bit worse? Where are you at with this team overall? I think they're, they're, I think they're a 4-2 and two team right now. I mean, you look at the Montreal game, they probably should have won that or at least gone into overtime. I just felt like they made some questionable pinches and questionable deci- decisions later in the game, but... That kind of cost them in the end, but um, you know they probably deserve to at least get a point in that game. And then the other games, I think they've been okay. Um, the Arizona game, I mean, on every level, I think they deserve to lose that game, uh, especially just given the level of competition. Arizona's not very good, and just how other teams have just pretty much smashed them. But I think four and two is okay. I think that's fine. Um, you know, there's been a lot of up and down feeling around the team, and. I'm pretty excited, Kevin, to just get into this uh, kind of the bigger storylines here. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a number of storylines and, and positives and negatives about this team. But none of them are going to include the uh, the Sheldon Keefe comments about the elite players. So I'm I'm excited to just talk about storylines that have nothing to do with that. Yeah, I think I've heard enough about that. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, then the apology for it that was not needed. But anyways... I think I think four and two is even a bit light for the Leafs. Like you look at the schedule, uh, the fact that they lost to really the two worst teams in NHL last season, Arizona, Montreal, and they lost right at the last minute. Um, a bit controversial the Arizona game with the with the glove pass that got rolled back, but really just very very close games. Uh, we're recording Sunday. Last night's game against Winnipeg was really the only game that wasn't uh, within one goal. I think Arizona had an empty netter late to make it four two, but everything else has been basically a one goal game and and the Leafs did come out ahead in in against Dallas uh thanks to that Nick Robertson goal uh so I don't know they could easily be five and one they haven't really played a very strong schedule Washington had their backup in that night they've had some injuries uh you know Ottawa's okay this year Dallas has, has done pretty well but uh it is a little bit of a, a, a softer start to the season i think tomorrow night in vegas will be a big test a big road game there always a, a tough atmosphere but I, I think four and two is i guess about right maybe five and one or even four one and one would have been maybe a little bit more appropriate but you know they're not really scoring all that much right now at five on five we'll see if that picks up especially from their those star players that keith was talking about but uh, for, for today, Nick, I wanted to go through, obviously we don't have a huge sample size here, just six games, but I wanted to maybe do, you know, six games, maybe we can do six, our six biggest takeaways, so almost one per game, uh, from from the least season so far. So if, if you were to think of your number one takeaway through six games, what would it be? I think my biggest takeaway is that, you know, last year the Leafs, had pretty poor goaltending throughout the whole year, especially at 5-on-5, five five, and they were still able to finish with 115 points. So when you look at the first six games, obviously a very small sample, but, I mean, before last game, they were actually bottom five in both shooting percentage at 5-on-5 five five and in save percentage at 5-on-5. Five five. Now, thanks to Ilya Samsonov's performance last game, they're save percentage has really risen to they're around middle of the pack right now in the NHL. Uh, but their shooting percentage is still bottom five with um, some pretty bad teams down there. Now, I obviously don't expect that to stay down there. Um, but I think it's a, a pretty big positive that the Leafs are 4-2 and two despite having a pretty poor shooting percentage, um, especially from their top players, as, as Keith kind of alluded to. But especially Matthews, I mean, one even strength goal through six games. Uh, and it's not from a lack of trying or even a lack of shooting. I mean, his his shooting numbers are very, very high still. Uh, shot attempts are high. Shots on net are high. So I think it's just a matter of time before they really start to score. But, you know, the fact that they're 4-2 and two dis- despite all of that is, I think, a pretty huge positive. 
Yeah, I have the numbers in front of me, actually. So PDO right now, they're 25th at 5-on-5, five five, uh, shooting percentage plus save percentage. So obviously the fact that they're 4-on-2 with that PDO is, is quite encouraging. Now, again, it hasn't been the, the most difficult schedule. I think you can beat some of these teams like Winnipeg without a great PDO some nights, um, although last night the goaltending was quite strong. Uh, but if you look at their shooting percentage through the year, since, since Matthews joined the team, you know, 8th in the NHL, 3rd, 3rd, 10th, then they were fourth, fifth. They've been top ten every year. They've been top five every, I mean, top five for the last five years coming into this season, and now they're 29th. So uh, I think you you kind of hit it on the head. The, the fact that they're forward two with Matthews only having one goal, and not only was it one goal, but it was like a weak deflection that somehow made it in. Uh, like Camp's got two goals already. Tavares <laughs> is, is, is playing very well. And I'll actually... I'm, my biggest takeaway, uh, good segue there, it would be Tavares. I think last year, you know, the, the Tavares-Nylander line did score. It scored a lot more than people think last season. Uh, I think the, the save percentage when they were on the ice was very poor. The goal differential wasn't great. Uh, but Tavares looks like vintage Tavares so far. Uh, not necessarily the 5-on-5 production you're looking for, but I do think that line has looked good, especially since Nick Robertson came up. And, you know, I, I although the Bunting-Matthews-Marner line hasn't really gotten going, I think this team's always been built around having those two great scoring lines. And at times last year, it felt like you had just one. So, you know, Tavares, I, I think even going in the year, you feel okay about Nylander. You figure out, they're, like, you figure one of the wingers, whether it's Robertson, whether it's Kerfoot, whether it's Yarncroak, is going to be somewhat okay there. But Tavares being Tavares, I think every year now... Going into a new season, you're going to worry a little bit about it decline, and so far we haven't seen any of that. He's been uh, really fantastic on the power play, great hands in front, um, just just seems to be feeling it right now. And to me, you know, he's such a key player for the Leafs, not just this year, but going forward, and so far so good from, from that end. I think it's a huge encouraging sign because I know that was one of our X factors coming into the season, Kevin, where, you know, Sometimes last year or even the year before, Tavares and Nylander had so many different line mates, whether that was even dating back to Galchenyuk and Kerfoot and uh, Engvall and Mikheyev. And, you know, none of them really worked out. And I think, you know, a little bit of it was just the play of Nylander and Tavares where it just wasn't clicking or they just weren't performing as well as we wanted them to, especially when we considered their their deployment, which, you know, had a ton of offensive zone starts. So, this year, I mean, they've gotten the same deployment. They've really been, in terms of just driving play, they've been really good. I think Tavares looks a little quicker. Um, I think his puck carrying also looks a lot better than last year. So definitely encouraging. We're still getting those things we've always have in terms of his net front presence. Um, so it's nice to see. And I think, you know, with whether it's been Robertson or Maligan, I think that line's been kind of a bright spot for the Leafs. So I think that's great because obviously they're not really getting that five-on-five production from from Matthews and Marner right now. But, um, you know, it's nice that Tavares has been very, very good through the first six games. So I want to hear a negative takeaway. Let's get let's get a negative one out of the way. I think we started with we started with some positives, the record despite the shooting percentage and even a little bit the save percentage. We know Tavares is great, but give me give me one of the, the negative or concerns through six games so far. I'll try not to get too much into a rabbit hole here because I do think this is a concern and this really isn't based off the six games. I think this is just a building narrative or just a, a building concern over the past few years. And I know it's been well documented that the Leafs are unable to beat teams that are inferior to them and, and you know... The, the broadcast had done a good job of showing the records of the Leafs versus teams like Arizona and Ottawa last year um, and Montreal. And, you know, they're still winning around 55 to 60 percent of those games. But when you look at their rivals, other good teams are winning like 70, 80 percent of those games against non-playoff teams. Um, you know, there's probably a number of reasons to that. I'm sure effort and just playing down to your opponent has something to do with it but one theme that I see is that the Leafs somewhat struggle against teams that are okay defending and okay just collapsing towards the net um kind of they're okay with again they're not okay against teams that 
like Columbus in that playoff series, like Montreal in that playoff series, that when the Leafs have the offensive zone, uh, when the puck in the offensive zone and the teams are just looking to block shots, they're very comfortable in their own end and they kind of just wait for, you know, limited scoring op- uh, opportunities. That's when the Leafs really struggle. Um, you know, obviously we can hear the crowd yelling, shoot, shoot, shoot. I think for the most part, the crowd is usually wrong, but I think sometimes the crowd is right. And I think the Leafs do need to sometimes just simplify their game and they sometimes sacrifice shooting the puck and for puck possession. And, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm all for getting the, the better shot and making the pass most of the time, but I do think the Leafs overdo it, especially against teams like Arizona and just non-playoff teams. So, you know, the good news is I guess you're playing, you're not playing non-playoff teams in the playoffs, but, you know, when good teams like even Tampa last year have the lead, I think they can be somewhat comfortable just sitting back and really collapsing towards the net, knowing that the Leafs struggle against that. And so I, I think that's a growing concern. I mean, that's a concern we've had for, you know, a few years. And I think in the Arizona game, we really saw that come to light. But I said I wasn't going to go too much in a rabbit hole, and I think I did anyways. But um, yeah, that's probably one of my big, bigger concerns there is just kind of a lack of shooting, lack of those playoff-style goals, which you know was an issue during the, you know, when we watched the All, for, all or Nothing, um, then Keith brought that up. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that's coming back to them. It's just the lack of playoff-type goals, those gritty goals in, the, in front of the net. Yeah, I mean, the Arizona game sucked. There's no other way to put it. But I don't think it's a, a massive concern. Um, like, they're not going to play Arizona very often. Um, obviously, come playoff time, I, I just don't think it's going to matter. Uh, making the playoffs is still still a question mark. I know everyone, these fans, like to assume they're in, but it is a bit of a better Eastern Conference. But in terms of, I guess, a worse, I guess, a, a bigger concern for me, would be goaltending right now. Uh, Sam Stone has been outstanding. There's no question about that. But he is here on a contract under $2 million, and the starter is expected to be Matt Murray. And I think goaltending coming into the season was the biggest question mark for sure. Uh, I think, you know, we, we expected this team to score. We expected this team to be pretty good defensively. The big question mark was gonna always going to be a net. And... You know, I think Murray got hung out to dry in his one game. I don't think he's as bad as his number suggested, but the the the, the injury is a concern. Uh, not that he had a ton of leg injuries last season. It was concussion. It was COVID. It was getting sent to the AHL after COVID. But uh, you do want to see Murray healthy. Um, you know, we saw Mrazek the other night. I'll use him as an example. Someone who I just don't trust to stay healthy, Mrazek, and you know already has a groin injury. So you do, I, I think whether it's Murray, and I'll even put Jake Muzzin into this, between the two of them, the two very important players for the Leafs, I mean, what the Leafs are paying Muzzin and Murray, um, they need to be big contributors for them. And you do question with both of them in terms of health right now. Um, in terms of goal prevention, obviously your, your goalie, the guy that's supposed to be your starter, uh, is very, very important. And then Muzzin is expected to be a shutdown defenseman for this team. Uh, those two staying healthy, those two getting back in the lineup and being themselves, like their prime selves, is going to be huge. Um, so I guess that's I guess that's my biggest concern right now is is the health of those two key players. Yeah, I, I do think going into the season that was a concern, and you know I don't want to say it was an expectation, but I, I think it would have been a tough bet to say that Muzzin was going to be healthy for the whole year, just based on his past couple couple years. Um, but I guess just, just how quickly it happened, you know, like Murray's only played one game, Muzzin, I mean, we're in the second week of the, the year. So I, I think just how quickly they happened. Um, I, I am maybe a little less concerned, maybe cause I was a little bit more, I think the Leafs even expected it to a certain extent, just the fact that they signed Victor Mete and Jordy Ben, who also got injured. Um, but even in goal, I mean, I think if the Leafs had, even more than 60 to 70% and of an expectation that Murray was going to be somewhat healthy, that they probably wouldn't have gone out and gone Samsonov. But, um, you know. Oh, yeah, they would have. Yes, they would have. Mm. You need two goalies. Maybe. I don't know. Well, like, 
They're not playing Eric Schalgren for as a backup goalie. They 100% needed two goalies. It's just a matter of it's just a matter of you know how much do you trust Samsonov? He's gonna obviously get a good audition here. He'll get a month to prove himself. But I don't know if if the playoffs started today, if I'd be all that comfortable going in with him, right? So there is there is time to evaluate. Murray's gonna get back here. They'll have plenty of time before the trade deadline to see what Murray can do. If Murray's getting hurt again, they'll go out and get another goalie. I think at some point, but. To me, that remains the biggest storyline, and you know, in an ideal world, Murray goes out and he's got four games under his belt, and he's had four strong performances, and we're all feeling great. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. I think same with Muzzin. Just how early they've both gotten injured, um, and, and they, coming into the year, they were both the two biggest concerns in that area as well. Um, it, it is just a little bit of a question mark in terms of how much you can count on them. Uh, later on in the season when you know staying healthy is going to be vital to a, a long playoff run so I mean I guess on a more positive note um, there has been quite a few positives I, I know the second line just in general Tavares Nylander has, has worked out well but what about Nick Robertson Nick we saw two games out of him we saw two goals in his debut including the overtime winner I think that's got to be one of my takeaways so far as the success of Nick Robertson, even if it is just two games. Yeah, let me finish there. Like, I think with with Samsonov, I think the fact that he, like, he's played quite well, even though Murray was has been injured, and and Murray has actually had growing issues in the past. Um, I think it was maybe two three years ago he tore his groin. So, I mean, he's just had so many injuries and the concussion issues. So, like, I'm definitely glad that they got another goalie. Samsonov's playing well right now. So, um. I mean, I just think it's 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 brutal luck for them, and, and goalies in itself, even when they're healthy, are so tough to to kind of predict. So, I think for goalies, like despite the bad luck, I think so far so good, especially with with Samsonov the way he's played. It, I think it could be worse, but definitely a concern as goaltending always is. Um, but with Robertson, I think he's been great. Like you know, I think in the actual preseason, he was he was great. I thought that we saw just an evolution in the way that he plays. And one big concern I had with him in the past was one that's defensively. I think I still have that concern. He's still very young. But the other one was the puck carrying. And I've definitely seen him improve in that in that aspect where we see him kind of carrying the puck on a line that has William Nylander there. Um, he's made a number of great plays to to gain zone entries and I think if he's able to be somewhat of a puck carrier at the NHL level, I think everyone needs to watch out because we know once he gets into the offensive zone, once he gets into his spots, he's able to score because of his shot. But I think it's really encouraging seeing a 21-year-old who you know, has had the injuries that he's had. Um, he's had a little bit of bad luck over the past two seasons. And to see how much growth he's made just over over one year I think that's incredibly encouraging so again I think that he can probably play on that Tavares Nylander line I would prefer to see him with with Kerfoot right now on that third line I still hold there but I think he's just been great and I don't think that he should be on the Marlies again um I wouldn't be surprised if later in the season they they bring him down just for cap reasons again because they don't want to lose another player. But it's definitely not because he deserves to go down because he's been excellent. Yeah, I think he's here to stay, whether he's with Tavares or Kerfoot. I like him with Tavares for now. Obviously, after that debut, two goals. They don't really have a clear person for the top six, like maybe Yarncroke. But he hasn't been amazing either, I would say. So fine with it for now maybe towards the end of the season you might acquire someone at the deadline maybe a guy like Yarncroke is, is playing a little bit better maybe you shuffle the lineup and and you put Robertson with a shooter like Kerfoot but it is nice just that Robertson Tavares new enter line can be quite sheltered uh the other three lines are, are trusted defensively um so it is it is a good situation for Robertson I don't really love him as a puck carrier I'd say he's about average but uh, the shot is, is his bread and brother, and the, the motor, just his, his ability. He's made some nice defensive plays. I don't think that's going to be his calling card either, but just the defensive plays he's made through two games and just some of the forechecking ability, even though he's not the biggest guy, he he's, seems to be the hardest worker, and it's working out so far. Um, and then I think another storyline that was, I won't say it was huge coming into the year, but something that I was keeping a close eye on was Rasmus Sandin playing the right side, and 
I know he played the left yesterday with Muzzins being hurt, but so far I've liked Sandy on the right side. Um, yesterday was actually the first time he's been on for a goal against this season. Uh, you know, he has gotten bailed out a few times. Uh, you know, he has. it's not like he's been mistake-proof or uh, perfect to start the year, but him and Giordano has worked out quite well. I'm not sure what's going to happen in terms of when Lilligren gets back or when Muzzin gets back and how the lineup's going to shake out, but... He at least looks competent on the right side. I don't know if I would prefer it if we had, you know, if I could make Giordano shoot right, I would. But uh, so far, I'd say so good in terms of the just the defense overall, whether it be, um, you know, maybe less so Morgan Riley so far defensively, uh, though he is playing a little bit better as of late. But whether it's been Brody or whether it's been lower down in the lineup, like guys like Victor Mete stepping up, Giordano still hasn't been on for a goal against a 5-on-5. Five five. Um so you're hoping when the Lugering comes back, if Muzzin can get healthy, I think this unit's looking pretty good. Maybe not perfect because of handedness, but so far so good, I would say, from just the Leafs' defense overall. I think they've had their ups and downs, I would say. Um, I'm probably not as high on just the defensive core. I, I think, yeah, Riley Brody, to me, has not been too good. Um, you know, you, I think both you and I have been pretty active tweeting how many goals Morgan Riley's been on for at 5-on-5, five five, eight goals in six games, which is just pretty crazy. Um, You know, defense has never really been his calling card, but I do expect better from him. He has been better as of late, which is great. I would say that right now, I I have liked Mete a lot since he came into uh, the lineup. Sandine, I think with Giordano, was was actually really quite good as as a third pairing. On the right side, I think it's a work in progress. Like, I... I think by the time, I think with Sandine, like he, he didn't really have a full training camp, obviously. Uh, he only played that one preseason game. So, um, you know, I, I think considering all that, I think he's been able to jump in and, and play quite fine. So I, I think with the defense, they've been okay. Um, and I'm not going to give them like an A plus or an A right now, but I think they've been okay so far. Um, definitely better than what I would say the fan base gives them credit for, especially in the first six games. Well, they're not, they're definitely not at full health. Like the fact that Mete's already playing and the fact that, you know, you already have a Sandine Hall pair, which is kind of in your top four, uh, not ideal, but I think so far, like I'd say Mete's above expectations so far. Uh, I like, I still like Brody, even though he's been out for a lot of goals. I think Riley's a bit of a mix of bad defense and, and bad luck to be on for that many. Um, but yeah, like you need a little bit more from Riley Brody. There's going to be questions about the top four, um, whether it's, you know, is Muzzing going to stay healthy? Is he going to be himself? Can Lilligren jump up? Cause he was mainly third pair last year. If Giordano has to go to top four, is he up for that at his age? There's going to be questions about that, but, um, so far I think it's been a, a net positive. I think the Muzzin Hall pairing has been a bit iffy. Um, we will, we'll get a bit of a break from that just due to the Muzzin injury, it seems, but um, you know, the, the depth defense has, I guess, Mete in particular looks like a, a pretty competent six defenseman for someone who just cleared waivers. So, uh, I, I think even in the top, so I, I guess the next thing I want to get to Nick is you look at the forwards and I think that's really where the competition is. Like they do have quite a lot of, of defensemen when fully healthy, uh, you know, Justin Hallman ended up being the seventh. But up front, there's certainly some questions. I think if I was going to go the next 10 games, I'd keep bunting Matthews-Marner together. I think Robertson is, is here to stay, at least for the next 10. And then Robertson, Tavares-Nylander, whether you want to play them together or not. I think that you have six forwards who are, are kind of locks for the lineup. I think David Camp, Alex Kerfoot, Kelly Yarncroke are also locks. But then you have three more spots. And I want to say you have about six guys for those three spots. Maybe nine guys if you start counting Marley's down the line. But so far, I don't think anyone's really jumped uh, or impressed out of that list that would make you feel comfortable with them having a lineup spot, whether it be Aston Reese, whether it be Obi Cabell. I mean, Simmons and Clifford did play well last night other than the bad penalties, but you kind of know what they are. Uh, I don't think Engvall's off to an amazing start. Uh, I don't think Malgin's off to an amazing start either. Um how concerned are you with finding the right guys in that bottom six and, and just the bottom six in general? Is that a, a big concern for you right now? Or uh, are, are you, is there a couple of guys that you, you really like? 
I think individually, I haven't really liked them. Um, in terms of am I concerned, I would say no. I do think it's a work in progress. Um, I think I think it's nice that you, you can play Winnipeg and, and have Clifford and Simmons ready to go um, in a game that's probably going to be a little bit more physical. Um, to me, I... You know, I think it's a mixed bag. So I think the third line of, of Engvall, Kerfoot, Yarncrow has been very good. Um, you know, they haven't been scoring a ton of goals. I know Kerfoot had that that tipping goal, which was nice um, at 5-on-5. Five five, but I think they've been driving play very, very well, um, despite kind of being around 50-50 in terms of offensive zone starts and getting some decent matchups. So I think that's been a huge positive for them, just that line combination in general. In terms of the fourth line, uh, Abe Cabell, Kampf, and Zach Aston Reese, when we started, when he had the podcast last time during the preseason, I, I actually liked the line. I still kind of do. Um, I knew that they were three players that had experience of having defensive zone starts. Now, when I look at the team right now, there's virtually, I'm going to kind of pull it up here. The Leafs have five players that are below 50% in terms of offensive zone starts. And only one of them is, actually two of them, is above 50% in terms of shot share. One is Alexander Kerfoot. The other one is Pierre Engvall. Now, I think Kyle Yarkrow has been okay too. But my point is, is that David Kampf, Aston Reese, and Abe Cabell as a line, they have been pretty much dominated. Um, they are at a very, very low they were getting a ton of defensive zone starts. And that's even compared to Camp last year, which he got a ton. Like Camp's at around 20%, Abe Cabell 12, and Aston Reese 18. So they're hardly seeing the offensive zone. But I think my big concern for them, even in the preseason, I made a tweet talking about puck carrying and puck transportation. And last year, David Camp had both Engvall and Mikheyev on his line. And like we can all remember Mikheyev and Engvall skating the puck up from the defensive zone to the offensive zone and pretty much spending the, the whole shift, you know, maybe not scoring every shift or, or a lot of the shifts, but spending a lot of the time in the offensive zone. And, and obviously Camp doesn't have that anymore. Aston Reese and Abe Cabell are not the same types of puck carriers. And I think they've just really struggled there. Um, They've just struggled to get the puck up the ice. As a result, they've spent a lot of time in the defensive zone. So I think as a as a as a trio, I think it's gonna be a little difficult to kind of figure that part out. I don't think any of the three of them are just gonna all of a sudden become great puck carriers, but I could definitely see Angval dropping to that line being the primary puck carrier and seeing their expected goals and just overall play driving become a lot better because they have a Engvall who's an excellent puck carrier there. So I think they have that there. You know, the question after that would be who steps in on the third line with Kerford and Yarncrow, whether that's Malgin or or maybe Aston Reese or Abe Cabell. I think that's kind of a, a big question, but I think having Engvall there, having Kerfoot that could potentially drop to that line is is a bit of a plus. So that's probably mitigating my concern, but yeah, not been too good for that that trio to start the season. Yeah, so in terms of the bottom six, I'll start with Kerfoot. Number one, I like him at center. I think last year there were quite a few concerns with having Spezza and Blackwell there. Um, Spezza, I thought was more. I thought both players are more of a wingers, more offensively focused wingers. And Kerfoot, he didn't have the best game against Winnipeg with Aston Reese on his wing, but. He has found a way to both produce a little bit of offense and also, you know, just win his minutes. And, you know, whether you want to call Camp the third line setter and Kerfoot the fourth or vice versa uh, is up to you. But I do think that it just makes your lineup a little bit deeper when Kerfoot's not needed in the top six and is able to center his own line. So uh, it hasn't been perfect, but I do think that between having camp for more defensive zone starts and then Matthews playing top competition, Kerfoot should get easier minutes and should be able to win those minutes. So uh, I, I would keep Kerfoot at center, and I think if they do have to make a trade down the line for some cap space, I think it's now Engvall versus Hall, and I think Kerfoot's firmly out of that. Um, in terms of in terms of Yarncroke, obviously some bad penalties, but I do like the shot. I also like 
know, he's a pretty good two-way winger. He's a pretty good hard-working four-checker, and he's not afraid to go to the net. I, I've liked his net front play. He's got a little bit of grit to his game. He's pretty well-rounded. I, I trust the Kerfoot Yarncroke duo defensively, and the the really the fourth line, the camp line, you're, you're, the whole purpose of them is to trust them defensively. So uh, I, I do trust a lot of these forward groups defensively other than the, really the Tavares line, but you're sheltering them so much anyways, and they've been quite quite effective. So I do think those guys of Yarncroke and, and Kerfoot hasn't been perfect, but I do I do like both players. Like I do think both are, are in for some success. In terms of Engvall, I don't think it's been great for him. Um, I do think that if he continues to play poorly, he might be the one getting traded if everyone's healthy rather than Justin Hall. We'll see. But I do like, like I do think he's uh, a little bit underrated for most of these fans. He's a bit polarizing because he is 6'5 and not all that physical. But he really uses his size and speed to be good defensively. I think he had 35 points last season and he was good defensively. So uh, as you mentioned, Nick, him with Camp seemed to work last year. Obviously, they don't have Mikhaev anymore, but maybe you do reunite uh, Camp and Engvall at some point. They might need the transition help. We'll see. Um, so I, I'm not overly concerned about Engvall. I do think if, if you do end up trading him because you need the cap space, I do have concerns about who can jump into his role. Uh, I don't think Aston Reese has enough offense. Obi Cabell hasn't really shown anything yet to, to warrant that. And then, you know, Malgan Kerfoot's a bit of an, an awkward fit. So uh, I think the third line, as you alluded to, isn't a huge concern. The fourth line, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, where, you know, you like it on paper, but it hasn't really worked. The transition skill hasn't really been there. Um, it's It looks like both Aston Reese and Obey Cabell are going to be out tomorrow against Winnipeg. We're going to see another game of Simmons-Clifford. I guess they played well enough to warrant that, but... You know, you went out, you, you, you cut those guys for a reason, and you almost cut them in the offseason um, when you went out and signed Obi Cabell and Aston Reese. So I do think it's it's going to send a message. We'll see how they respond when they come back into the lineup. But so far, I, I guess my level of concern is similar to yours, quite low. I think they'll figure it out eventually. But so far, it's not been all that great for that camp, Obi Cabell yeah. Aston Reese. Well, I think with, with Engvall... I completely understand why the fan base does not like him. Like you said, he's tall, he's big, he doesn't hit very much, although his hitting numbers are a little better, but he's definitely not a snarly type player. Um, And I don't think the organization thinks he is either, considering he was the one who got scratched last night against Winnipeg. But I I do think he's really underrated just because of how good he is as a puck carrier. Um, He's good defensively. I would be very intrigued to see what the fan base thinks about him when like like right now his on ice save percentage is last on the team 82.35 at five on five um Leafs are getting outscored one like three one when he's on the ice he's been getting pretty bad goaltending albeit in six games and then he's tied for second last in on ice shooting percentage so you know he's driving play He's in like um, 52% in terms of expected goals, despite all those defensive zone starts, like I said. I think he has been a a little unlucky. Um, He's had those games like um, against Montreal where he was just an absolute beast in the neutral zone. And then I think it was the Dallas game potentially where he he was also quite good. Uh, Like he just has these games where he's, you know, just one of the best players in the bottom six there in terms of just driving play. Just feels like every time he's on the ice, he's he's he has the puck on his stick and he's really skating at the defense. But he also has these games where he's he's just very quiet and you don't even notice him, which isn't a good thing for a forward. So um, I can definitely see both sides of the the coin, but I do think he's underrated. So his his luck will probably change soon. I think the bigger guys that don't hit always get a bit underrated. Yeah. People just harp on them a little bit too much, but. Uh, that, you know, that's not his game. I think I'm over that by now. I've seen him play for, for years right. now. But I do think that, you know, one thing we both see in him is that he does fit well on most bottom six lines um, because he complements a lot of bottom six players either... I mean, you're in the bottom six for normally one or two reasons. Either you're really bad in transition, which is, you know, Simmons, I would put Obi Cabell... Maybe not really bad, but not great in transition. Obi Cabell, Aston Reese. Even Camp could use help in transition. 
So Engvall typically complements those players well. Uh, if you need him to take defensive zone starts, he's more than capable. He's good at killing penalties. And then he also has a, an, enough offensively to potentially play on a third-line role, whereas I don't think a guy like Aston Reese does. Um, but right now, Nick, I see, I kind of see it as three spots up for grabs. Um, Engvall is, I think, a lock if he's on the team, though he might end up getting traded uh, if, if everyone gets healthy and they need the cap space. We'll see. So I'll, I'll put him as kind of like at maybe 2.5 lineup spots up for grabs. Um, and it, for those two, I think you could go Wayne Simmons, Kyle Clifford, kind of the, the guys from last year. I don't think either of us are all that high on them, although they, they get off to a good start. Um, Obi Cabell, Aston Reese, two guys who, you know, have the skill set for that defensive zone start line. Um, Dennis Melgan, would you give him another shot? Like, is, is he done for you or would you throw him in some games here? And, and if so, where would you throw him? I would definitely, I don't think he's done. I think that you definitely give him a, a few more, like I've seen enough to, for him to warrant more chances. Like, I, I don't think with Malgan you really need to just say, okay, well, he had, you know, three or four games he's done now, um, especially with the injuries right now with the Leafs and their flexibility in terms of bringing Simmons, Clifford, even Robertson down, although you, you kind of want to avoid that at this point. But I think Malgin, the first two games looked quite good. After that, I thought he looked a little timid, I would say. I, I think with Malgin, he's just at his best when he's demanding the puck he, the puck's on his stick. He's active. He's confident. And I just felt like he, he was playing a bit of a like a passenger um, in his last few games. So I think the skill is there. I think he's active enough off the puck when he's playing, you know, the, confidently. Um, I think there's enough there that he's, he's, he's a good player. He's an NHL player. I think he's proven that um, he has something to offer to this team so i don't think it's kind of like a make or break for him at this point um so i definitely expect him to to play again at, at some point this season yeah you don't need the cast space right now because of the ltir so it's worth keeping him around no use putting him on waivers yet but i just it is tough to find a fit for him like i think you yeah, obviously starting in the top six there's no way i would want dennis Melgan in the top six in a playoff game uh, and a healthy lineup, at least. So, you know, then you look at the bottom six, you go, okay, he's not really a great fit with Kerfoot. They're both kind of smaller transition players who don't score much. Um, can he play with David Kampf? That would be maybe the next spot I would try him with because Kampf could use some some offensive help or some transition help. And if he's with, like, I don't think Melgan's great defensively, maybe not the ideal fit for a defensive zone start line, but... If you have him with Camp and Aston Reese, maybe they can kind of cover for him nah, defensively, I right? So, I, I think I don't think, I think it's... last year's Camp line maybe like with Engvall Mikheyev. Like, I think maybe you can do Camp Mikheyev Mulligan, but not this year. I mean, they are really getting buried in the defensive zone. Like they twenty percent. Like I would not put Mulligan, uh, but I, I know what you're saying. You're kind of I wouldn't put him with Kerfoot though, right? Like I think he's going to be out of luck eventually. But I might give him a couple games with camp. I don't think it's going to work out long-term. Um, but I don't really see another spot for him, right? Yeah, like, it'd have to be on one of the Unless you're going to move Kirk. It'd have to be on one of the middle six lines. But um, uh, if, if it's the Malgin that we saw in the you know, the, the last two games, I definitely don't see a spot for him. If it's the Malgin we saw on, on opening night and, and through the preseason, I think that through, you know he, he can provide something. Um, but I think either way... You're probably looking for someone at the deadline, unless Robertson or Nyes can really step up. Well, yeah, you won't know about Nyes then by the by the time the deadline starts. But I do think that whether it's Melgan, whether it's Obi Cabell, Aston Reese, Simmons, Clifford, maybe less so Clifford. Uh, I think any of these guys could be in an NHL lineup in the right role. But the problem is, is that I don't know if anyone's so good or so well rounded that they're gonna make it in any role, right? Like. It's almost going to, a lot of these decisions are going to be lineup dependent where you're going to look at a line and say, okay, I have a spot next to David Camp. Who's, who fits best next to Camp, right? And if you're Simmons and, you know, you're getting, you're struggling defensively, or if you're Melgan, you're struggling defensively, these guys, these guys could get cut. Um, if you're Aston Reese, and even though you're not doing 
much offensively. If the defense is there, maybe it works. But I do think that if Aston Reese doesn't work with Camp, I don't really know where he's going to play. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting. And then uh, I have three guys on the Marlies that I've been looking, that I've been, I'd consider down the line. I don't think they're going to get a chance right now with all the different forwards competing. But I think there's three guys that could potentially earn a call up maybe in a month or two months from now. Um, who do you think I'm going to say? Probably just based on the last few games. Probably Steve's, Holmberg. Yeah. Uh, these are all forwards? All forwards. Uh, um, I would say Abrazizi, but I mean, it could be Goddard, but I would say Abrazizi over Goddard. Nah, or J- Joey yeah. Anderson, probably. Joey yeah. Anderson, yeah. I don't think any of those guys are... Uh, Big difference makers. You know, a, no, but it, depending on what you need, right? So I think Steve's has a little bit of scoring talent to him. I, I think he's close to... I think he's at goal per game right now through four games. He's got some speed. So if you're looking at Camp, and he, he worked with Mikhaev, who was kind of that breakaway speed type, maybe Steve's can, if he really impresses, could, could get in the picture there. I don't think yet, but... We'll see. I think he's off to a good start. Um, Joey Anderson's kind of the the typical. I don't know. I don't know if I'd call him replacement level, but you know he's pretty well rounded. He's off to. Yeah, like he's he's good defensively, so you could put him on a defensive zone start line. He's also brings a little bit more to the table offensively than a Simmons or an Aston Reese. So, you know, if he could take another step forward, who knows? And then the other guy's Holmberg, and I think Holmberg's. He hasn't done much on the score sheet so far, but he's. Probably the Marley's best two-way forward, and he's also he's also creating a fair amount of chances. And it'd be interesting if he came up and either pushed Camp up to the third line. He did like Kerfoot, Camp, Yarncroke, or if he did like, uh, you know, he'd be pushing Kerfoot to the wing and more offensive starts. Um, so we'll see. I, I I think you know way too early for those three. You're kind of just hoping that Obi Cabell or Aston Reese, at least one of them, steps up and. And looks like the guy you hope you're hoping to sign, um, but so far I think Aston Reese, you can kind of tell why he's gone from you know he's kind of cut by Pittsburgh pretty much when he was traded, um, why the Ducks didn't really keep him, and then same with Obi Cabell, um, you know a, the the Avs brought so many different players back, and he for one million dollars they probably could have brought him back and didn't, so you do see the the downsides of these players, you do see the lack of offense, but hopefully one of the two can step up or even Maligan and and surprise you. Yeah, I, it's it's one of those things where I think Abe Cabell and Zach Aston Reese are NHL players, and I think they're good defensive players, but I think maybe potentially we're just not seeing enough transition skill when all three of Zach Aston Reese, Abe Cabell, and Camper on one line. Um, so I, I think that's just the main problem. But the good news is, I mean, they have Kerfoot Engvall there to potentially try it out. Um, so I, I'm glad that Keefe's already kind of switching it up, um, just seeing what he has. Like, you know, having Zach Aston Reese on that third line there, <laughs> it didn't do too well at all. Um, but at least we're seeing some switching here. So I'll, I'm interested to see what he tries, like whether he tries Engvall next to Camp, uh, knowing that that was so good last year. Yeah, and then if you move Engvall there, then you got questions about the third line, right? Like, I think Engvall with Aston Reese and Kampf would work. You know, it sounds good on paper, at least to me. But the third line, then, can Albi Cabell play with Kerfoot? Would that work? You'd have to move Yarncroke to the other side. I don't know. We'll see. There's going to be a lot of different combinations here. It sounds like Simmons and Clifford are going to get the game against Vegas, but... Just looking at the 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 week coming up here, Nick, Vegas, and you're, it's, it's the late road trip here the california trip after vegas so you got san jose you got la you got anaheim i think you have to go three and one on this trip for for me to be happy just because san jose is off to a terrible start you should beat anaheim for sure and then you should win at least one of the king's knights is that is that where you're at three and one yeah let's say three and one and when you look around the division i mean Boston's five and one. The Sabers look amazing. They're four and one. The Panthers look good. Red Wings haven't lost in regulation. Uh, and then there's the Lightning and Senators who are off to a little bit of more of a slow start. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun year because this Atlantic Division is absolutely stacked. Guess who's so 
the East this year, just in general, seems stacked. Like, just looking at yeah. it, like, as you said, the Habs are in last with six points. <laughs> and even the, if you look at the Metro, like, Columbus is in last in the Metro right now, but they added Goudreau. Like, they're a better team than last year for sure. Um, the Islanders, you're expecting a bit of a bounce back. We'll see what they can do. But it just seems like I don't think the Flyers are good. They're four and one, but just the East seems so much better than the West this year, where you have teams like Chicago, Arizona, Vancouver, Vancouver, uh, San Jose is one and six. Anaheim looks terrible. Um, You know, Edmonton is the they're last in five on five goals per minute so far. I can't believe I've watched a ton of Edmonton games for whatever reason this year. Um, More force, just the Jack Campbell. Just seeing how he plays there, and I just feel genuinely bad. Like Campbell hasn't been fantastic for them, but I mean, him going from the defense oh, is terrible. Yeah, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him. It's tough to watch. Same with Vancouver. Yeah, like, I don't know what Vancouver was thinking. Their next game, they're they haven't won it. They have two loser points in six games. Oh four and two. Yeah. The next game is against Carolina. Which good luck. <laughs> But, man, like, how do you not address your defense? Like, they had nothing for their defense this season. Yeah, they've that, um, that game against – I watched the game, most of the game, against Buffalo. Buffalo is a yeah. fun team to watch. I love – they're like the – they're kind of like the, the Raptors. Like, just having, like, like large <laughs> Don't say large that. guys. Don't say like, that. Minus the championship. The bu- Buffalo this year <laughs> is, like, a bunch of big guys who can skate. And – I, I don't know. They're a fun team to watch. I don't. I don't think they're a playoff team just because they're Buffalo, and I just don't think they're, they're going to be one and nine in the next ten. You're going to regret that. I don't know. I, I'll I'll eat it because yeah, I but... like watching them. Um, the the Leafs Buffalo games are going to be fun this year because if they lose against Buffalo, I guarantee the storyline the next day is that Buffalo's big and bullied the Leafs because yeah they they've got some big guys in their team that can skate. Yeah, look, Tuck is, is probably... He's off to a great start in terms of goals. I like Paterka, who they added. Dylan Cousins is Cousins, big. Yeah. You're right. They do have... And then power on the back end obviously helps the size. Of so, course, Ilya Labushkin was one of their best guys. Big hitter. Yeah, he's turned some yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way... Well, I... So, with Labushkin, he throws these hits. And then you see, like, on Twitter sometimes, people being like, what? Like, the Leafs couldn't use this? It's like, the guy signed if you're like, what? 2.5, was it? Yeah. Like, I don't know what the price point was. Like, if LaBouche could sign for $7 million, were we still going to get these comments? Like, why didn't the Leafs bring him yes. back? Yes. The, um, the answer is yes. Even Mikhaev. They got, like, Mikhaev got paid. I can't believe the, the amount of money Mikhaev got paid, especially when Vancouver needed defense. But I don't know. I'm excited to see. Uh, not so the West teams. It seems like the, the Leafs' schedule this month is very soft. They're not seeing a, a bunch of great games. I do think they need to bank points because... Eventually, they're going to start playing Boston, Pittsburgh, Carolina, Tampa, who's not off to a great start either, Colorado, like teams like that. So hopefully they bank points because I have a lot of respect for a lot of these Eastern Conference teams this year, uh, especially if New Jersey gets goaltending. That team's so fast. Um, Ottawa's off to a good start in terms of like expected goals. Uh, if you just look at some of the metrics, they look a lot better. Uh, Florida's still scoring like crazy. Boston's off to an amazing start. People thought they might take a step back, so... It's going to be interesting here. Hopefully the Leafs go, I guess, 3-1, and one, get off to a good start, and, and get, I guess, bank some points so we're not so stressed later on in the year. Yeah, I 100% agree. I just think, I think the fan base in general, and, and you know, maybe you and I are a little bit uh, guilty of this too, is that I think sometimes we just expect the Leafs to be, like, we always hear the narrative of they never play a full 60 minutes. And, I mean, like other teams are good too, and there are ebbs and flows in sports in general. So to me, sometimes like I obviously want them to outplay teams on a nightly basis, but there are going to be games where they just don't have it going. And to me, this early in the season, just bank the points. I mean, you need to win this division this year. You want to play a you know a poor first round opponent. You don't want to play like a, a Tampa this year again. So just bank points this early. Um, and then just collect intel about your lineup as the season goes on so that you're you're ready to go once the trade deadline comes uh, and you can start to ice an optimal lineup. So 100% agree. You got to bank points now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Arizona is a bit of an exception this year where they're like, they seem like the worst team by a mile, but 
they are going to win some games. I think you look at the Rangers, just lost to Columbus today, uh, lost to San Jose, the first team to lose to them this season. So good teams are going to lose some some big games. I think uh, whether it was, I think Edmonton's lost a couple of bad ones so far. And then Tampa. Tampa. Tampa's like, Tampa, three and three. Tampa's, Tampa's off to a terrible start. So I know... You know, Leafs fans like to think they're the center of the universe, but Tampa lost to the Flyers. Which we are. Who... Which we are. <laughs> we are the center. Yes, that's correct. But I do think that, you know, hopefully Samsonov can keep playing well because that's really going to be the key. I, I don't have much faith in Shelgren, to be honest. Uh, and until Murray gets back, it's going to be all Samsonov. So let's hope that he can be like 9-10 or better. That's That's my hope. I'll take 9-10 if you gave it to me right now. But uh, that's, I guess, the only concern is I do think the Leafs could get in a situation where they start out playing teams and we'll see what happens with the goaltending. That's the mystery. But anyways, so what's your let's get out of here just with predictions for the next four games. So you said 3-1. and one. Which game are they losing? Oof. Uh, let me pull that up here. I'm going to go with... Um... Which one's the easiest game? <laughs> the Probably Ducks. The Sharks, maybe? The, the Ducks, Ducks or yeah. the Sharks? Uh, both, they both should be wins. I'm going to go with... Let's go with the Ducks. I say they lose. And then the rest of the games, they'll win. And I'm going to go with Matthews. There's four games this week. I'm saying Matthews gets two goals. And Robertson gets two goals as well okay. over the next four games. I like both of those. Especially the you know two best shooters on the team. What... I'm yeah, going to say they lose tomorrow in Vegas and then win the next three. Uh, okay. I don't know. Going to Vegas, uh, you you know they weren't staying in Winnipeg for an extra night. Let's put it that way. Um, I th- I, I'm assuming that the plane took off like 10 minutes after the game. Uh, they did have the practice today in Vegas. I'm sure they're, I don't know, They it's such a loud arena. They're a good team. Uh, their goaltending, they're kind of a similar team to the Leafs where the goaltending isn't. Uh, a lot of question marks this year. But, you know, Jack Eichel, Shea Theodore, and Petrangelo on the back end, Mark Stone. Uh, I always hate playing in Vegas when the Leafs play in Vegas. I feel like they never play well. <laughs> when you play in Vegas. <laughs> so, yeah, when I play in Vegas, I hate it. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I think San Jose should be a win. I think they'll be a little bit uh, on their toes or the effort to be there after the Arizona loss. That's what I'm expecting. Uh, knock on wood, and then Anaheim. Even though it's it's, it's on a back to back, and I'm worried about Shalgren, but I do think that the Leafs are just the superior team. So we shall see. We shall see. But with that being said, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see everybody next week. Bye.